0: Welcome to Pollen, where Associate Professor Ed Newbegin, along with a range of experts, help you understand what pollen actually is, what may be causing your symptoms, how best to manage your conditions, and the environmental factors that drive pollen levels and other airborne pollutants. So pollen affects around one in six Australians. It can really make your day-to-day life difficult when we're in pollen season and managing your allergies can become problematic if not worked on. I've got Ed Newbigin here, a microbiologist and co-creator of the Melbourne Pollen App, and our special expert guest is Professor Joe Douglas. Welcome, Joe. You're an allergy specialist. Would you mind expanding on that a little bit more for me?
1: Sure. So an allergy specialist is a doctor who's spent time training allergy in allergy and clinical immunology. So my specialization is in diseases of the immune system. And one of those is allergies where the body's immune system responds to things that are otherwise harmless. And in fact, it's an allergy to something like pollen or dust mite or cats that can actually lead us into problems with hay fever or asthma, or indeed, say, with foods, with food allergies and anaphylaxis. So it's the kind of things that allergy specialists deal with.
0: So it's incredibly important for someone to prepare themselves when pollen season comes. How do we start preparing?
1: So I think people need to recognise that hay fever season, pollen season comes around in spring every year and people will tend, once they start to get it, they'll get it every year. So they can recognise the times when it occurs. So particularly for grass pollens, usually that's starting in... October and going through to December. And some people have uh, periods where they suffer from symptoms outside that, but often that's tree or weed allergy or different species of grass. But in Victoria and in southeastern Australia, it's dominantly ryegrass. So those seasons of October through December is the peak season. So if people know they're going to get symptoms, then I guess the question is what they can do about it. And there's no doubt that the most powerful treatments they can use are preventive treatments for hay fever. And that particularly means the nose sprays that contain corticosteroids or, or steroid nose sprays that you can get over the counter from the chemist. And they have to be used in a preventive fashion. And really, they're great for anyone who's got all but very minor symptoms because they relieve not just the runny, itchy nose, but also the nasal blockage. And in head-to-head studies of antihistamine tablets versus those, probably the nose sprays come out as more effective when someone's got any more than very mild symptoms.
2: Hey, Joe, how many people do you guess have got grass pollen allergies just in, in the population?
1: So we know that um, just under 50%, so that's nearly one in two people, are what we call atopic. So that means mm. that they have allergic antibodies. They, their body produces allergic antibodies to common environmental allergens like grass pollen. And over three quarters of those are sensitive to grass pollens. Mm. But that just means they've got the immune predisposition or immune propensity to have hay fever. And probably only about one in three or one in four of those actually suffer from hay fever or allergic problems at any one time. So it's really common in our community to have the predisposition, but obviously there's environmental factors why people actually develop symptoms.
0: I know physically they're different hay fever, hives and asthma, but what's actually happening to our bodies during those reactions? Mm.
1: So an allergic reaction occurs when someone has made an allergic antibody to something, it's called IgE, and that's a class of antibody. Antibodies are proteins that float around in our blood and they're meant to protect us from infection. And the allergic antibody probably was meant to protect us from parasites, but in places like First World countries where we don't have many parasites, they seem to be directed more against things in the environment that otherwise wouldn't hurt us. So like grass pollen or like dust mite or like peanut. So that the problem is the body sensitivity and the um, allergic response that's mediated by that allergic antibody. And that's what causes people to be Uh, prone to develop hay fever or asthma. Or if you're talking about hives, um, that's usually related, I think of that more in relation, say, to a food allergy, not so much to hay fever. Although sometimes young kids can sometimes get hives on exposure with grass pollen, but that's not so common as hay fever or asthma, the respiratory allergies with grass pollen.
2: And and what about the connection between hay fever and asthma.
1: Yeah, so we know that hay fever is a risk factor for asthma. So if you have um, hay fever, your risk of having asthma is at least double that of the community prevalence of asthma. So if you think of about one in 10 people having asthma overall, if you've got hay fever, your risk of having asthma is at least double that. So that's one in five people. So it's much more common. And interestingly, if you have asthma, your risk of having hay fever is something like three to five fold. So you've got at least a one in two chance of having um, hay fever if you suffer from asthma. So people who know they have asthma are at particular risk for hay fever and vice versa. So we know they're the people we really want to be focusing on with preventive treatments and making sure they're prepared for the pollen season if they get hay fever.
0: So it's respiratory, it's the gr- the grass pollen entering through our nose and mouth.
1: So the grass pollen grains, and Ed can tell you about this because he's done a lot of this work, the grass pollen rat grains are fairly large. I think they're about mm, 15,
2: 20. 30, 20, 40 yeah. microns in size. Microns. So they're small, you can't see them with, uh, except with a microscope, but they're certainly pretty powerful, but they're too big really to very far into the nose or into the mouth. So they they get blocked up in the upper respiratory tract. Yeah, we,
1: we don't think of our nose perhaps as being a very effective organ for keeping the rest of the lungs and respiratory system clean. But if you nose breathe, by the time the air that you've breathed in goes through your nose, it gets to the back of your throat, it'll be fully warmed, that's, so it's 37 degrees, it'll be fully humidified and it'll be cleaned of any particles greater than about five microns. So it's amazingly efficient filter that allows us to breathe clean air into our lungs. So the grass pollen is bigger than that and will get trapped in our nose and also lands in our eyes. And that's why some people with hay fever complain often most about the itchy and tired eyes. But the thing that happens when we worry about pollen grains bursting, like in thunderstorm asthma, that's when the smaller fragments can be breathed down to the lower airway. But that's mm. absolutely what you
2: mm. have discovered Yeah, yeah, yeah. In And when they get into that lower airway, they cause that inflammation.
1: Yeah, so it's the burst pollen grains that mm. have those tiny particles that are very potent in terms of setting off allergic reactions, but are tiny and can get to the bottom of the lungs because mm. they're only five microns or less. Mm.
2: So when we count pollen we count pollen in the air we're really talking about those intact grains that are impacting on people's eyes and getting up their nose and so on and they're causing hay fever and there's a further step so that's a way of measuring how much uh, grass pollen allergen is in the air there's a further step uh, for those pollen grains to actually cause uh, asthma it's the same grains of pollen Mm -hmm. that you're catching on the. yeah we see those grains but those are intact grains but they for, to cause asthma and thunderstorm asthma, but asthma generally, they've got to burst. They've got to be some way in which they get broken up. So we talk about thunderstorm asthma as being a particular case where those grains have to get burst so those smaller particles can, containing allergen can get into the lungs. But uh, that's also true for asthma as well. Mm. What bursts them? The pollen grains will burst. Pollen grains can burst. Yeah. They can put them in water and they can burst. So lots of different conditions can burst, can cause pollen grains to burst and release this uh, soup, this fine uh, array of small particles which can be breathed. They're smaller than the five micron size that Joe mentioned, so they can get into the lungs Mm -hmm. and they can start to cause those uh, allergy reactions, that swelling of the bronchial tubes that you get in the lungs but how they burst, we don't know. Uh, thunderstorm asthma is a case in point. We think about those pollen grains, which are sort of coming along at rooftop level mm-hmm. and getting around and causing hay fever and so on. Uh, and what we think happens, uh, but it's really just a hypothesis, is that they the thunderstorm comes along and the thunderstorm is big masses of moving air, so things getting pulled up into the upper atmosphere and then they're coming down and... During that process of air moving up and air coming down again, cold, so warm air rising, cold air sinking, during that process the pollen grains get broken up and become that colder air becomes a mist, uh, a cold, dense mist which sits close to the ground and people get exposed to that mist of cold air containing allergic particles which can be respired. But that occurs somehow around thunderstorm asthma, but generally uh pollen grains are causing asthma, we know there's a very strong relationship between grass pollen season and increases in people turning up for hospital treatment, emergency treatment uh, with asthma at this time of year as well. So just yes. on normal days, we've got that I
1: think you bring up a really good point, Ed. The, point, the other interesting thing is that if you put intact pollen grains in someone's nose, mm. so they, there's no pollen getting to the lung, if that person has asthma, they'll usually wheeze as well. So the nose is a first warning system that sets off the immune system and can set off a propensity for asthma mm. of itself. I think thunderstorm asthma is the extra thing where those mm. tiny particles are breathed in as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, we spoke about the importance of prevention, but what about managing the allergies over pollen season?
1: So I guess preventing getting symptoms is a good thing to do. A lot of people, when they start to get hay fever, if it's mild, will just take an antihistamine, which is easily bought from the chemist, and that's pretty effective for perhaps getting rid of the itch and a runny, itchy nose. But it's not very good for a block nose. And often as the season goes on, interestingly, the levels of allergic antibody rise in a person's system over the hay fever season. And by the end of the season, they'll have worse symptoms and they may not just be controlled by an antihistamine. So I guess thinking about prevention is probably a safer way of dampening down that allergic response. There are a number of other things that can be done. I mean, one of the things people see me for an allergy doctor is to ask about what we call desensitisation, which is a process of often tablets, but also injections can be used to, to retrain the immune system to become more tolerant to things like grass pollens. And that's a more permanent thing to do, particularly for someone who suffers badly. But it's not for those who are uncommitted because it usually takes about three years of therapy. So someone's got to really want to do that. But it does work very well but it's a long-term commitment. I guess one of the jobs I spend also because of the increased risk of asthma with hay fever is actually getting people to anticipate that they could get asthma. If they've got hay fever, they're at risk of asthma. So how can they keep themselves safe? And that might mean in very mild cases having a, a blue reliever puffer on hand. But for people who've got any more than trivial asthma, then they're probably better off having a preventer and I encourage them to use it. And perhaps they should, I'd encourage people listening to go and see their doctor if they do get asthma symptoms, so coughing or wheezing, waking at night, particularly with asthma and hay fever, to see and seek help to get preventive treatment. A lot of people I see tell me oh, I'm taking antihistamines and I'm taking two or three antihistamines mm. a day and they're not working. And I always have to remind them that an allergic response and a bad allergy is worth much more than just just histamine. Histamine's only one of the factors that the body releases to cause an allergic reaction and there are many others. So histamine, antihistamines can only work so far in preventing or helping an allergic response. And by the time it becomes a severe response and certainly one that's been persisting for days, hours, days, let alone weeks or months, antihistamines will only relieve a small part of what's going on. And they're not very effective for asthma. So in the people who are prone to asthma when they get hay fever, they're not going to be helped by taking antihistamines particularly. Hmm.
2: But Hmm. managing your hay fever is one way of managing your asthma?
1: Yeah, there is a little bit of evidence that the steroid sprays in the nose that you use for hay fever and that's for preventing hay fever is also quite useful for asthma. There's not much evidence at all that antihistamines help Um, prevent asthma. So I think if someone is having asthma symptoms with hay fever, which is really common, we've already Mm. said, it's important to recognise them or to even anticipate that that's a risk and to have at least a reliever medication on hand, a blue reliever, which in Australia you can just buy from the chemist, but consider also whether preventive treatment's worthwhile and your doctor can give good advice about that.
0: What sort of cures are in development at the moment?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of work being done as how we can switch off allergies, not just, well, certainly for hay fever and and for asthma. And also in the case of food allergy, there's an immense amount of work going on. It certainly seems possible to do what we call desensitise someone, to change the allergic response so it's less severe, less acute. And that can be done by doing what we call desensitisation or immunotherapy, which is basically giving something you're allergic to in repeated doses, usually by injection, but it can also be given under the tongue. There's other ways of doing it, and some even for food allergy swallowed. But if we're talking about hay fever, it's under the tongue or injected. And that does change the immune response, but not forever. So we usually know if you do it for a couple of years, you'll usually get several years' further benefit But you've got to really persist with it to see that benefit. So there's a lot of work being done to how we can make that really effective, how we can make it safe, because obviously if you're taking something you're allergic to, you can get allergic reactions to that, and how we can encourage people to actually persist with courses of immunotherapy. Can we make it more effective so we haven't got to give it for as long or as much so that it can be more effective? There's quite a lot of work being done in that space. But as yet, no magic cure, no magic switch that can turn allergic immune response into a non-allergic one. But that's what we need. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. We
0: hmm. get a lot of parents listening. Do the measures of prevention and management apply to, say, setting your kids up for school?
1: Sure. So it's really interesting. Hay fever can really trouble kids and as kids get becoming adolescents and, and young people uh, Hay fever is really noticeable around October, November, which is, of course, school exam time. So a lot of people Mm. hate that. And a lot of people when they get hay fever, it's called hay fever for a reason. Some people feel terrible. They feel exhausted, like they've got a cold or um, like they've got the flu. So they feel bad as well as just having um, just their nose and itchy, itchy nose and eyes. And that's obviously not good for kids who are trying to sit exams. So what can parents do? I think they can respond by being... Active and actually recognising that kids hay fever is really common. One in six people get it, so a lot of children are going to have it. And then using treatments that are appropriate for the age of their child, which at the first step may be a pharmacist, but also their GP can give them advice. So antihistamines can be good, but then again the topical nose sprays and things can be useful and are probably more effective for those who have more than mild disease.
2: Mm. I guess what I do is pollen counting. Uh, So we talk about grass pollen counts and we also do pollen forecasts. And we've talked about that in a previous episode of this podcast. How do you see that information helping parents and also helping people who've got hay fever and asthma?
1: You're absolutely right, Ed. And I guess I, I forgot I didn't think about that well enough in terms of just avoiding it. Mm. So you can avoid pollen to some extent. You can stay inside on high pollen days. You know, perhaps the really high pollen day if you've got bad hay fever and asthma is not the day to do the school sports run. Mm-hmm. Just to think about those mm. things, whilst I'd love kids to do what they can do and or every anyone to do as much activity as they can, Certain days, particularly high pollen, if you've got bad hay fever, you're going to put yourself at some risk for that. And certainly in the setting of thunderstorms, those high days when thunderstorm asthma alerts and that are out staying inside is a really important thing people can do Mm. to keep themselves safe as well as using medication.
2: So treat it a bit the same way as you treat a, a warning of a high fire day, high fire danger day. Make sure that you're not going out there and lighting a fire on those sort of days. Make sure you're not doing those sort of things which, which put you at risk. At uh, the,
1: certainly in the case of thunderstorms, at the time the thunderstorm's coming over, because as you say, um, you know, thunderstorms in springtime seem to be a, a pretty strong trigger for some people to need emergency care, and we know hospital emergency presentations go up at those times.
0: Hmm. On forecasting, is there a general threshold for, say, high hmm. pollen counting yeah, that yeah. everyone can go by, or does it so, become quite individual?
2: Uh, Look, it will be individual and Joe can probably talk more about that. So we have a level of how much grass pollen is in the air and we say that's a high level and that's 50 grass pollen grains per cubic metre of air average across the 24-hour period. So it's an average we're reading. Uh, can go up, can go down across the day. Uh, so we talked about that previously. And most people who've got grass pollen-related allergies will experience their symptoms on those sort of days. Uh, And we're trying to get a better handle on what we mean by most people. Is it 100%? Is it 50%? That's where we're trying to direct research and and the information we get through the app, through the symptom survey scores on the app are helping guide us as to whether those thresholds, which have been around for a long time, whether those thresholds are really appropriate for 21st century Melbourne.
1: Yeah, I think it's good to have an eye to the environment, as you say, and it Mm. becomes very important to be a, one of the preventive strategies that can be used.
0: So Joe, how do people actually know when they're getting asthma with their hay fever?
1: Sure, so we know that people who have hay fever are at greater risk for asthma and the symptoms of asthma are shortness of breath or wheeze. There's sometimes a cough and particularly as a doctor I always ask people about nighttime cough or waking at night with shortness of breath or wheeze or waking in the morning or when they wake in the morning having shortness of breath or wheeze and any of those symptoms would suggest that a person's not just got hay fever and they've got asthma. I see a lot of people with hay fever who mm-hmm. say, oh look, I know I cough and I always wheeze a bit in hay fever season but that's just my hay fever. It's not. It is actually asthma and it's important to recognise it because if they're getting asthma with a hay fever then they are at risk of a more severe attack with a high pollen exposure such as in a thunderstorm or such as in a high pollen count day. So I think it's really good for people to pick up on those symptoms and recognise them so they can keep themselves or their family safe.
0: Do you think those symptoms can be quite random? Like if there's two or three pollen seasons that their hay fever symptoms are quite mild and then all of a sudden on the fourth year, the asthma starts kicking in?
1: I think you have touched on two things there. One of the interesting things is people who come to Melbourne, so say from Southeast Asia or from somewhere else, we know that it's usually three to four years. that If they're going to get hay fever, they'll get it. About year three or four, it'll start expressing itself and it really starts to get more severe over mm. time. The other thing is within a season, people become more severely affected over time. The allergic reaction kind of ramps up over the months of the pollen season so that the allergic antibody levels can be moderate at the start of the season. Everyone goes up over the course of the season if they're allergic. So exposure to something you're allergic to can make you more allergic in the setting of something like hay fever. So that means people are more at risk at the end of the season than they are at the beginning from having an allergic or asthmatic event. The other thing I'd say is that we know that thunderstorm asthmas periodically come along and we know that always happens at the end of a couple of days of high pollen counts, nearly always. So that's a good forecast that in some way people are really switched on in terms of having bad hay fever and indeed allergic asthma if they're going to get that and therefore they're more likely to suffer at that time. So things people can pick up on to show, to, to give themselves, um, to, to know when they should be giving themselves preventive treatment to keep themselves safe.
0: So that awareness is incredibly important.
1: I think it is really important because I think being caught unawares is where people really run into trouble. And I see, I see, I see a lot of patients and I see people very often who say, I don't really have asthma and I do their lung function, I measure it. And they do, and they didn't quite realise it because they just put their symptoms down—a bit of wheezing. They just—we always tend to underestimate our symptoms. No one likes to be sick, but it's important that we recognise it so that we can treat it properly. Because there's great treatments that'll keep people safe and well.
2: Mm. So, Joe, just uh, sort of on that point, my thinking, my understanding is that a lot of people don't really go to the doctor for hay fever. They get hay fever as a kid, as a teenager in their teenage years, and they discuss it with their parents and they the parents go and, I don't know, find out some advice. What's your advice, to Yeah,
1: so a lot of people don't go to the doctor for hay fever because I guess people tend to go to their pharmacist mm. and a lot of treatment for hay fever is available over the counter just from the pharmacist. So you can get... Antihistamines, which are non-sedating and are easy to take and quite effective for very many. You can get those nose sprays, those steroid nose sprays over the counter um, and you can use them and the pharmacist will give you good advice on how to do that effectively. And they're terrific for a preventive thing for hay fever. And you can also get eye medication. So if, you, if itchy eyes, for some people their hay fever, the main symptom is itchy eyes that just make them feel tired and exhausted. So there's lots of eye drops and things that can be used, antihistamines and other things that are very effective for that. So many of the treatments for hay fever got over the from a pharmacist. A person doesn't need to see a doctor. I think what you need to see a doctor for is if you've got asthma symptoms that are any more than trivial. So if you're getting them more than twice a month, that's not trivial. If you're waking at night with asthma, it's not trivial. If you're waking in the morning wheezing, it's not trivial. Then you need to see a doctor and get preventive treatment for asthma.
0: So things like allergies and asthma, are they genetic?
1: Yeah, there's They're not simple genetic things in that you don't just have the gene for asthma and that's it. There's more than one gene for allergies and asthma. But nevertheless, these things tend to run in families. The other interesting thing about allergies is they do tend to run over the life course. So the little baby who has eczema becomes the younger child who have asthma, who becomes a teenager with hay fever. And often they've got food allergy as well. So often the same person can get different allergic diseases as they age. And that becomes important when it comes to treating them and keeping them safe.
0: If you want to find out more information, visit melbournepollen.com.au. There you'll find more resources to help you stay on top of your allergies. And don't forget, if you haven't already, download the Melbourne Pollen app. You can find the nearest pollen site, track everything, create a profile, and really help build preventative measures for allergic reactions to grass pollen. Pollen was presented and produced by me, Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And the executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Special thanks to Associate Professor Ed Newbegin and the team at Melbourne Pollen Counting.
1: Listener.